0: As I was preparing today's lesson, I was reminded of a true story in a congregation that I'd known of, of a member that was an undercover cop, and he was really involved with the teenagers. And any time that some of the young people came to be baptized, and he was the one that they always asked to baptize them. Well, this particular Sunday morning, someone came that he had been working with, a young man in the community, and so they went to the back to do the baptizing and the undercover cop took off his coat and there was a revolver hooked to his belt and one of of, of the young guys saw it his eyes got as big as saucers when he saw the 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 gun and the cop kind of deadpan we have a no back out policy here concerning baptisms (laughs) now i don't want anybody to back out of baptisms but i don't want anybody to be pressured either I don't want anybody to feel under the gun. I don't want anybody to do it for the wrong reason. I don't want anybody to do it because they have been felt that that's something that they have to do at a certain point in time. I want people to understand why they're baptized and the importance of baptism. And it's important for those of us who have been baptized to be reminded of the significance of baptism. And so this morning, I want us to think about the topic of understanding baptism, Let me join with Kyle in welcoming each one this morning. We have a good number. We have a number of guests with us today, some from the community, and we welcome you. We have some of our own that have come back from College Station or who knows where else uh, around the state of Texas, and you have come to be with us today in our worship. We're glad to have you, glad to have our brother Buddy Payne that led us in prayer this morning, and everyone else that's part of our worship service today where we hope that you are edified and uplifted and encouraged by the things that we're studying. I realize I'm picking a topic, and you might say, as the expression goes, quote, unquote, I'm preaching to the choir, because this is something that most of us probably here believe and understand. And yes, Stephen, as I was thinking about this topic, I was reminded of an old saying. In fact, it's so old, I don't even know who said it. But it goes like this, and you've heard it said that you need to practice what you preach, and that's right but you also need to preach what you practice. And what I mean by that is this, that while certainly we need to put into practice and role model what it is we proclaim to believe that we need to practice what we preach, if we're not careful sometimes that week after week we can engage in exercises and activities and worship and beliefs about certain things, that we just take for granted everybody understands that they understand why we come on the first day of the week or why we have the Lord's Supper or why we have a cappella music or, or why we practice baptism or why we identify ourselves the way that we do. So it's good every so often to go back to first principles. And it occurs to me that every so often in my preaching that I need to do that as well. So we're going to talk about an old topic this morning, maybe from a little bit of a a fresh perspective, but certainly we want to talk about it from a biblical perspective and to really stop and understand the issue of baptism. And it very well could be this morning that we have those that are here that have never been baptized, and, and you've wondered about that. And you've wondered, should I be baptized? Sometimes young people come along and and they grow up, quote-unquote, in the church and they see baptism, and yet when's the last time you've heard a sermon on understanding baptism? So we want to address that this morning. And I will go to the text in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 4 through 6, where the Apostle Paul wrote, there is one body and one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so on those seven ones there, the Apostle Paul talks about the one baptism. And so I want to look at this from the viewpoint of three questions when we think about the one baptism. The what and the why and the who. And when we've answered those questions, the lesson will be yours. What baptism is the one baptism That Paul speaks of here in Ephesians. Well, it's the one that Jesus commanded. Jesus commanded baptism. And what we often refer to as the Great Commission of Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Other writers, including Matthew, record this as well. It is apparent that Jesus taught and commissioned baptism. And so the baptism that we're talking about in Ephesians 4 and discussing this morning is the one commanded by Jesus. May I suggest to you that baptism is not a church command. It is a Christ command. Sometimes folks get the idea or they will ask the question, what does your church teach on that? Well, where I preach here at the West Main Church of Christ, what we teach is what Christ said. Christ commanded. It's not church orthodoxy. It is Christ orthodoxy, if you please. And so it was a part of the apostolic commission. It's commanded by Christ. Not only that, the one baptism Ephesians 4 is the one that Peter preached. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter was given the keys of the kingdom, and he stood up before that Jewish audience, and he preached Christ for the very first time, and pointed out they by their wicked hands have crucified and slain the Lord of glory. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse 37 that they were cut to the heart, and they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter's answer to them in verse 38 was to repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name or by the authority of Jesus Christ for the mission of saints and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I recognize we could camp on that verse all morning and talk about a lot of issues from that verse that we might wonder about, but one thing we don't have to be in doubt about is what it means to be baptized and the importance of it. Because when the people said, what shall we do, Peter said, you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Peter preached that. And Christ commissioned him and gave him, figuratively speaking, the keys of the kingdom, Matthew 16. And he opened the door to the kingdom in Acts 2, and he told those that cried out what to do to be baptized. Not only that, the one baptism is the one that was practiced by Paul. You probably know that Paul was one time called Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of Christians. And Acts 7 talks about how he held the coats of those that stoned Stephen to death, the first recorded Christian martyr. And Acts 8 talks about how he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church and the Christians were scattered. Acts 9, we read about how Saul was on the way to Damascus and he knew people in high places and he had letters of authority whereby he could continue to persecute persecute Christians and put men and women that profess Christ in prison it was on that journey to Damascus that Saul saw a light from heaven he was blinded and knocked to the ground and he saw literally the Lord Jesus Christ and he said Lord what would you have me to do and the Lord told them to go into Damascus and there it will be told you what you must do the Lord sent a preacher by the name of Ananias and he came to Saul who was blinded for three days. He was fasting and praying and he preached to him the gospel. He told him about Jesus Christ. The whole sermon is not recorded but we know that one of the things he said to him is recorded in Acts twenty two sixteen to Saul. And why now are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. And so this man that had been a persecutor now becomes a believer, an apostle, and a preacher, and he's called upon to arise and to be baptized why that his sins might be washed away. He did that, and Saul became the great apostle Paul. And you know what we read in the book of Acts? Acts. He went forth preaching baptism in Acts 16 to Lydia and her household, to the jailer and his household, to the Corinthians in Acts 18. Over and over again in the book of Acts, we see that Paul now only had practiced baptism, but he preached it. The one baptism is connected to the one Lord. When you preach Jesus and you preach the gospel, you preach baptism. But what is the mode of the one baptism? Well, some say it's sprinkling. And I've known of those, of different religious groups, that take a little water out of a cup and they sprinkle someone on the head. And none of this had the idea that you pour some water and they take it and pour it over someone's head. Pouring is not any better than sprinkling because neither one of them are Bible baptism. Bible baptism is immersion. Now, if we wanted to get into the Greek, and most people don't want to get into the Greek, But the word comes from a word, baptizo, that literally means to dip or submerge. It has the idea of a burial behind it, and if the word was literally translated, it would be immersion, to repent and to be immersed, or to believe and to be immersed. But even if you don't know that, it doesn't make any difference, because the Bible is clear what it is. Colossians 2 and verse 12, Paul said that we are buried with Him in baptism, in which also we were raised with Him through the faith and the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. We're going to notice a little later, Romans 6, it also says that we're buried. But that's good enough. I don't need to go to school and learn Greek to figure out that baptism is not sprinkling or pouring. The Bible said that when we're baptized, we're buried with him in baptism. That's why in Acts 8 and verse 38, when Philip was preaching to the Ethiopian treasurer, it says they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't need to both get into the water to sprinkle a little water on someone. I mean, if baptism is just pouring water, I'm not going to get wet, and I'm not going to get the recipient wet. I'm just going to get down and get some water and just throw it on him. If that's good enough, why both get into the water? Well, you both got to get into the water if you're going to practice Bible baptism. That's what the mode is. What is baptism? Baptism. Baptism initiates a newness of life. It is beginning life anew in Jesus Christ. As we put off the old man and we put on the new man. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verses 3 and 5, that you must be born again. If you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, he said you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And so you have two elements here. You have the Spirit that leads, and I believe through the Word, the Spirit-inspired Word will lead someone to obey the gospel of Christ, and the water would be baptism, that we are born of water and of the Spirit, and that initiates a new birth. Not only the baptism is a God-ordained expression of faith, that it shows that we have faith in God. That baptism validates every passage that talks about faith. You know, a lot of people have problems with baptism because we're accused of working for our salvation. That's not so. That would be like saying that Israel worked for their salvation when they looked on the brass serpent. Or when they marched around the walls of Jericho. Or Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was dipping in the river Jordan to be cleansed of his leprosy. Was it works that really saved these people or cleansed them? No. It was their faith in God that he could perform an incredible act of mercy and that this could take place. Jesus said in Mark 16 and 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved belief plus baptism equals salvation i came across this quote as i was working on this lesson by martin luther and most people know martin luther is a great reformer and he was known for his emphasis on faith over works in fact martin luther even had some questions about the book of james whether it ought to be included in the canon because he thought it was so works oriented But I tell you, there's something kind of interesting when you read a little bit about Martin Luther. Martin Luther believed in baptism. In fact, so much so that some of his colleagues chided him and at one time said to him, look, does that go against your faith and works theology? And Martin Luther supposedly said in response to that, it is true that our works are of no use for salvation, but baptism is not our work, it's God's work. Well, Martin Luther might have been wrong about a lot of things, but he wasn't wrong about that, because baptism is not a work of man, it's a work of God. We're working the works of God when we are baptized, and it is an expression of our faith in God that we're doing exactly what God said for us to do. Not only that, it is a call to unity. We read in Ephesians 4 about the oneness here. And there is a oneness as we look at these ones in this passage. There is one baptism. And by the one faith, we believe in the one God and the one Christ and the one Holy Spirit. And we're added to the one body, which gives us the one hope. And this fits exactly into God's plan for unity. There is a oneness a unity to God's plan and purpose for salvation. You know, I have never understood in all the years I've been preaching why it is that there has to be such controversy and division in the religious world over something that seems to me to be so obvious and so apparent in the Bible. I mean, from cover to cover. All through the New Testament, we read about baptism. It is in unity with the revelation of faith. And on that baptism is a statement of allegiance. By being baptized, you're saying that I am committed to Christ. And so to the Thessalonians who had received baptism for their mission of sins, Paul would write to them, for this reason also we thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you that believe. These Christians at Thessalonica, these baptized believers, had an allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's one other passage that somehow I accidentally deleted it yesterday when I was working on my PowerPoint and sin over here so it's my fault not anybody else's but i want to read it because it's important to what we're talking about so if you have your bibles turn to ephesians chapter six and this really fits together several things here we're talking about about what baptism is paul said beginning of verse one what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound god forbid or certainly not how shall we that have died to sin live any longer in it or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried, and there's the buried again, with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised to the dead by the glory of the Father, that even so we also should walk in newness of life. And there's our newness that we already talked about. And here's the unity, verse 5. For if we've been united together in the likeness of His death, We shall certainly be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall live with Him, knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death has no more dominion over Him. For the death that he died, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you talk about camping on a passage, we could do that for a few weeks here. But as I pointed out, we have the burial again that we've talked about. We have the idea of being made alive, of putting off the old man and putting on the new man. We have the idea of unity. But I want to a- answer once and for all the challenge that comes along since I'm in this passage. So I'm going to touch on it briefly in, in a minute or two. But I want I to deal with a question of people ask. Say, well, you know, I was baptized. And I go, well, yeah, but what do they teach about baptism over there? Well, I was baptized because I was already saved oh really well let me ask you a question who do you bury see what do you mean who do you bury do you bury a dead man or maybe just someone that's they're still breathing and you think they're going to die later and you bury it buried well no you can't do that you get put in jail for burying someone's alive yeah that that's right you bury a dead man you realize in this passage how many, in fact, I've got to highlight or circle in my Bible all the times and use the word death and died, that we are dead in sin. And you know what you do with a person that's dead in sin? In fact, in Ephesians 2, the first three verses, Paul talks about being dead in trespasses and sins. And here he refers to that too. That we're dead. Christ died. What do you do with Christ? They buried him. When we're dead in sin, what do you do? You bury that person bury them in water, and then they arise therefrom to walk in newness of life. Do you see what baptism is? That, in fact, sometimes you say, well, preacher, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that baptism is a symbol? Well, of course it's a symbol. It's a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But when you baptize someone because they're already saved, you just negated the whole symbolism of Romans 6. And it becomes a ridiculous exercise then, doesn't it? Because you say, well, I accepted Christ, my personal Savior, and I prayed through, and He saved me, and a month later I was baptized. Whoops! You're burying a person that's alive now. What are you burying them now for? They're not dead in sin anymore if they've been saved already. Do you see that? You know, as the old-time preachers, you say that's just by as plain as a nose on your face. And for me, that's pretty plain, isn't it? You, you can see that. It's there. And so baptism, we think that, is so important in God's plan. Why be baptized? Because it puts you into Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, 27, he says, For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, does that mean literal? Not literally. In him is a relationship that we have. We are connected to him and in him. We are one with him. Could a person be saved and not be in Christ? I would think most people would say, well, no. Well, how do we get in Christ? We're baptized into Christ. Why be baptized? Because it puts you into the death of Christ, as we talked about. There's my passage. Okay, I thought I had it earlier in the PowerPoint. Well, we've exegeted that, and so we can move on. You're baptized into the death of Christ. We're buried with him through baptism into death. And you see, it is in the death that we meet the blood. We meet the blood there. Acts twenty two sixteen 16, we read a while ago, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. someone I said, oh, oh, that church of Christ, you think the water washes away the sins. No, we don't think that. I don't know any gospel preacher or any pastor that shepherds the Lord's people that has that kind of a false notion. There's no power in the water. I guess this is just a Louisville city water we got here in the baptistry. Nothing special, is it? Just water. But what makes it special is that when we're baptized, God applies the blood of Jesus to that. And Revelation 1, 5 tells us, through him that loved us, he washed us from our sins in his own blood. And so when I'm buried with him in baptism into the death of Christ, I meet the blood of Christ. And the symbol of water speaks to the issue of the shed blood of Jesus. And it is the blood that washes away my sins. Not only that, baptism puts you into the body of Christ. The Bible teaches that in 1 Corinthians 12, where the body is one, has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For but one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we've all been made to drink into one spirit. We are baptized into one body. Now, what's the body? Well, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 tells us that he is the head of the body. That's Christ. He is the head of the body. The church is the church. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things of the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. You say the church is the body. That's right. The word body here is just an analogy that he uses that Christ is ahead of the body. Like I have ahead of my body, Christ is ahead of the spiritual body and the body is the church. So if the body is a church and you're baptized into the body, you're baptized into the church. What church? The church of Jesus purchased with His blood. Acts 20 and verse 28. The Paul said that He purchased the church with His blood. Now some have the false notion that we're sometimes baptized into a local congregation. No, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the universal body of Christ. That's what we're talking about. The universal body of Christ. You're not baptized into the West Main Church of Christ Incorporated. You're baptized into the church that Jesus purchased with His blood. And every person does that all over the world is in one body. Oh, yes, we meet in different localities. There's different local fellowships and congregations, as we refer to them, in different places, just like in Bible times. But we all belong to the same body with Christ as the same head. Someone says, ah, you can be saved without baptism. Really? You can be saved without being in the body of Christ? He's the Savior of the body, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 23. Paul, who's the Lord going to save? The body? Well, Paul, how do you get into the body? Baptized? Can you be saved and not be in the body of which Jesus is the Savior? I don't think so. I don't think so. You have to be in the body. And then baptism puts you in, if we haven't figured out already, into the circle of of salvation. Peter said there's also an antitype, type and he's drawing off of the analogy of the flood in Noah's time that carried the ark to safety and cleansed the world of sin. He said there is an anti-type which now saves us. What is it, Peter? Coming and praying through? <laughs> Repeating the sinner's prayer? No. It's baptism, he says. It's not the removal of the filth of flesh. But he answered a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the any type that now saves us. And every saved person is in that circle, if you please. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Why, Peter? For the remission of sins. Buddy, I remember years ago. And you know, I can remember, you know, learning about the word ice and what the word ice means and, and all that stuff in the Greek language. But Robert Jackson, who's been gone several years now, had one of the simplest explanations of this I've ever heard. He said, people say, well, you're baptized because you've already been saved. And that's what the for, word for means. He said, you can ask any English teacher or Greek teacher, can the word four have two different meanings and the same construction in the sentence? And he answers, no, it can't. going to have the same meaning. So Robert said, well, whatever you repent for, you're baptized for. Now, does a person repent because they've already been saved? Well, no one would think that. No one would say no one would teach that in any theology that you are already saved. Then you're going to repent. You got to change first, repent, and then you're you have remission of sins. Well, whatever you repent for, you're baptized for. And what is it? It's the remission of sins. And so what about someone outside the circle? I know in our day of political correctness, and not one to offend anybody, it becomes a difficult thing to ever say anybody's lost. And while everybody may not belong to the Universalist Church, I think we have a lot of Universalist thinking, not only in the world, but ladies and gentlemen, I fear sometimes even in the Lord's Church, I've been in congregations where I've heard people shock me by talking about Christians being in various man-made groups because they're good people. You know, I I have some good friends in my Rotary Club and in Toastmasters clubs and neighbors. I, I have some relatives that I have loved through the years, and they're not in the circle. I'm sad for that. I want them to get into the circle of salvation. And there was only one way I know the Bible teaches that. And that's when a person is baptized for the remission of sins. Into Christ, into the death of Christ, into the body of Christ, and into a saved state. So who should be baptized? Well, this is kind of a wrap-up. This won't take but a minute. We've already noticed a taught person that every single case of baptism is a person that has been taught what they need to do in order to be saved, a taught person. And then a believing person. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized. You don't baptize someone that doesn't believe yet. And so they have to have heard the gospel, been taught the gospel, and now be a believing individual in the gospel. And as we've already indicated, a penitent person. Repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of life. And so a person has to be one to repent. I've had some people that I've studied with want to be baptized, and I knew they were in some kind of a serious, sinful situation, and we begin to discuss that. Well, no, I'm not going to quit that. Or I'm not going to leave this situation or relationship. Well, I want to baptize you, and you want to be baptized, but don't you see, before you're baptized, you got to repent, and here's what repent means. Just dunking you in the water. If I do that, Then you're going to start out a dry center, and I'm going to bring you out of the water a wet center with no change. That in every case, a person that was a proper recipient of baptism was a penitent person and then a confessing person. When the Ethiopian treasurer wanted to be baptized, see, here is water. Why can't I be baptized? The preacher said, if you believe, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's why I always ask that. Will you announce your allegiance to Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, to Jesus as the Son of God, who should be baptized? I wonder this morning if we have one that needs to be baptized. Is there a mother or a father here, a young person of accountable age? And maybe you've attended and you've come and you've heard lessons. And, and maybe you have thought about being baptized from this and the Or could there be someone here that has just gotten wet sometime in the past? That has just joined a church somewhere? That has been dunked underwater but really hasn't been scripturally baptized as we've taught from the Word this morning? I would ask you, what are you waiting for? Do you want to be in the circle to save? Do you want to be in Christ? Do you want a newness of life? Do you want to be right with God? Do you want to go to heaven when you die? What are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized. It'd be our pleasure to assist you. While together we stand and while we sing